Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for... We don't give a damn for the Overreaction Monday! Auburn's going to win the football game! He ran the missed field goal back! He ran it back 109 yards! They're not going to keep him off the field tonight! Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. All right, welcome to the pod Monday overreaction. I don't think this is an overreaction. Oregon Ducks, done. Doused in the desert. That was a pretty bad game for Oregon. Very inspired by Arizona State. They got their little primetime show and and delivered. But the Ducks are finished as far as I'm concerned. Two losses, one of them to a 6-5 and five team. Even if they win the Pac-12, I think they're out. Issue I want to ask you guys, because this is, you know, Georgia's number four, but they just certainly didn't look like world beaters. What about Utah? Does Oregon losing crush Utah, which looks really good, looked really good beating Arizona? I'm going to advocate for Utah a little bit. 10-1, and one, only losses at USC. Now, everyone's crapping on USC, but they're going to, they're 8-4, and going to end up in the top 20. It's a road game. They aren't that bad. The quality wins aren't there because the Pac-12 hasn't done much, but the margin of victory is 23 points. They've allowed only 120. They're hammering teams. Utah certainly, I think, can hammer Oregon. I did not see a really great Oregon team. Only close game was at Washington. The non-con is what's going to get them. BYU is their only really good win. BYU is 7-4. and four. They did beat Boise State, but I don't know how good that counts. They may end up out because they scheduled Idaho State, Northern Illinois. They really need to step it up if they're going to be a contender, especially in the Pac-12. Pac-12 teams are going to have to if – if, if Larry Scott is not going to get this automatic bid done, which he should because if you're losing out because you lost by a one score at USC and you can't get in, you're out of a, out of the playoff every single year, you need to get automatic bids. But if not, these teams have got to step it up. Utah should at least be scheduling Boise State every year, if not a Power 5 team every year. So does this ruin the Pac-12 and the dream of the 11-1, the 11-1 kind of chance to showcase Pac-12 championship game? Pat, what do you think? Is the West finished? because Oregon couldn't beat Arizona State. Not finished, but hurt. That definitely was a blow. I think they really needed one marquee game. You know, one game that they could say, here are two really good teams from our league playing each other, and the winner is going to be a really good team. And lacking that, 
I, I do think that's a significant blow to the conference. You know, they're just the problem, as you said, with with Utah, not only is the, the, the non-conference is, is bad, you know, that like you said, if you're going to be in the Pac-12, you got to schedule very aggressively non-conference and BYU plus two cadavers is not aggressive. So that's an issue. But then even within the conference, like their best win is who? Washington, who's six and five and been one of the biggest disappointments. They beat Washington six and five, Washington State six and five, California six and five, ASU six and five. There's just there's a bunch of okay teams in there that are gonna go to bad bowl games. Who is Utah beaten is the problem. Now, we're at that time of year, too, where everybody is just gonna spend all their time killing each other's schedule, saying they haven't played anybody, they haven't beaten anybody. And then they'll and they're also prisoner of the moment over the last thing they just saw. So okay, we just saw Utah look very good against Arizona. Arizona's four and seven. So <laughs> whoop-de-doo. You know, I, I I just think that there's Utah needed Oregon to be right there as a worthy adversary, and that losing that game, I mean, Oregon's still a good team, but that's a big, big loss, I think. I think it hurts the league. Pete's Pac-12 done? I don't think the Pac-12's done. I think Utah's biggest issue is that it is Utah, and it's based in Utah, and we are not, like, accustomed to Utah being in the top 10 like we are Alabama. Now, Utah has been a heavyweight team, you know, for a majority of the time it has spent in the Pac-12. There was a little bit of an adjustment period, obviously. But remember, this is a program that hammered Alabama in the Sugar Bowl with Brian Johnson as the quarterback when they went undefeated in, in one of the Utes' last seasons in the in the Mountain West. And that was how long ago? That was in two. But I'm saying it's <laughs> a while ago. Oh, from that, from that, point, from that point on, we should have considered Utah in a different paradigm. But we have, you know, Minnesota won three national titles in the 30s, man. Like, <laughs> yes. All right, let me row my boat. All right, all right, row the boat. Utah's good. I like this team. That's my thing. They are okay. You say they haven't beaten anybody, but they are pounding bad teams. They are doing they are. to bad teams what you're supposed to do. And so I give a little bit of like, what are you supposed to do? The rest of the league is crap. Now, what you shouldn't do is schedule Northern Illinois. You should have scheduled somebody. And nope. quite honestly, at least they could call up Boise State and get a home and home start next year. Boise State would drop some, you know, you should at yeah. least be playing them every year. But instead, it's, like, oh, we're not playing Boise. We don't want to give like you got to do something. And they didn't do anything. So go ahead, Pete. I'm sorry to. No, that's uh, that's all right. I show up late. I'm going to get mocked. I mean, I Pat's, usually get Pat mocked started anyway. It. But Pat started it. Yes. No, I did nope. start it. That's that's fair. I deserve all scorn. I, I think one thing we've brought up once or twice on this podcast, when you go back to that at USC game that Friday night that they lost 23-20, Zach Moss, who's their All-American caliber tailback, did not play in the second half of that game because he, he left with an injury. Now, again, USC had Matt Fink, injuries happen, all that stuff. But when you are accounting for injuries as they have, I think that's an important part of this conversation. But my fear is this is going to come down to Utah versus Alabama, and we are very just used to Utah not being in the same you know paradigm as uh, as as Alabama. You know the one thing I really like about this Utah team not only do they have a very highly efficient quarterback, they have lines on offense and defense that the NFL is drooling for. Utah's defensive line. I talked to a scout who went through there in September, and he was like, "This is what it's supposed to look like. This isn't like." plucky Urban Meyer 2004 kind of running the spread and, and, you know, being a step ahead of people. Utah pound for pound can swing with a team in the playoff. I, I don't think Utah coming in 
would, you know, would, would just be some kind of walkover. I, I would think they have earned it, and I think they have the personnel to, to really compete in it. I obviously agree with Pat, like, you know, playing number six Oregon is going to be a lot better than playing number 14 Oregon when it comes down to it. But I, I really feel like the Utes need a need a good, clean chance. They close with Colorado. The problem with the Pac-12, there just aren't many opportunities to, to get marquee wins. And so if they beat Colorado and then beat Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, they're going to have one top 25 win and be a conference champion. Alabama will have one top 25 win and not be even a division champion. So it's going to become a fascinating test between that. And I don't know if you can look at Alabama. There was a year they made a couple years ago when Ohio State, I think, was the Big Ten champion. Alabama made it over. And they just basically, the committee just basically said, hey, we thought Alabama was better, and they were right. Alabama won the title. I don't know if you can say that about this particular Alabama team. That's what they said about Ohio State that year, basically, over TCU and Baylor. I didn't think... Ohio State deserved to get in, but they were better, and then they won the national title, right? So this is the this is the the problem. The committee can do whatever it wants, and the committee, the idea of like we're not comfortable with a Pac-12 with Utah as a good team is supposed to not matter. Yes, with a committee because you can educate yourself and go, oh, all right, you know, look at all this. I don't know. What about Oklahoma? Okay. Nice spot last night at the end of the TCU game. Good job, Big 12 officials, keeping that going. That was unbelievable. Eh, close enough. Fourth and cl- good. That's good. That was terrible. But Baylor wins again. Looks really good against Texas. Is two Baylor victories enough for Oklahoma? Is, you know, can they, this this drive for five is down to basically Alabama, Oklahoma, and, you know, I, I mean, there's some other scenarios, obviously, with upsets and, you know, Ohio State or, you know, I heard, Michigan beats Ohio State because they – I don't see that. Yeah, They'd have a wins over Iowa, Ohio State, and Notre Dame, though. You know, you're like, well, that's yeah. better than Alabama's got, you know. So there's – all, but they got two losses. And uh, anyway, and they wouldn't have won their division. But Oklahoma, where are they? Is there – if Oklahoma wins out, can they get there? I, I assume Baylor just can't. Because the committee has never liked Baylor. They've never shown they like Baylor. Boy, they're going to be – that's that's basically what we're coming down to if things go relatively according to Hoyle here is one loss Alabama, one loss Utah, and one loss either Oklahoma or Baylor. I think it would be a very contentious decision between those three. The problem – like Baylor's non-conference schedule makes Utah's look awesome. The best team Baylor has played non-conference is Rice. And Rice, is Rice still winless or have they won a game? They have I don't two know. wins, Pat. Two. Leave Rice okay. alone. They thumped <laughs> North Texas and they won at Middle Tennessee. The Rice is on a roll. Reopen K's Lounge. Get K's Lounge yes. back over. Yes, we yeah. need yeah. K's Lounge. Yes. Rice <laughs> Rice was number 146 in the Sagan ratings going into the weekend. I don't know whether they soared up uh, since then, but. You know, theirs is bad. Oklahoma, everybody, there's a lot of bad. Oklahoma's best non-conference win is over Houston. Houston's not good. Play somebody. Minnesota's best one's over Fresno State. And this is not a good Fresno State team. The only two teams, or the only team, two teams maybe, one team for sure that has a good non-conference win out of the teams that we're talking about is Georgia over Notre Dame. Do you think Texas A&M is good? Okay, Clemson and Alabama beat them, although it wasn't non-conference for Alabama. If you think Texas is good, you got another thing coming. They're not, but they're number 22 for LSU. So, you know, it's going to be very difficult if you're trying to parse this between Oklahoma, Utah, and Alabama, I think. And as far as just to get to your question, Dan, obviously they're, they, 
their strength of schedule will go up if they win at Oklahoma State next week and beat Baylor. I mean, that that finishes them with two good victories, but they have not been very good for the last month. They really haven't. They've they lost to Kansas State. They were narrow winners over Baylor, over uh, TCU, and over Iowa State. They're turning the ball over a bunch. They're not getting turnovers. There's there's some holes in Oklahoma, but you know there's going to be holes in whoever gets that number four spot. I believe. Yeah, I mean the way I see it playing out, it's either it's going to come down to Oklahoma. Let's just go with chalk pretty much the rest of the way. It's going to be the Oklahoma, Utah, Alabama, Alabama. debate for four. Mm-hmm. If LSU beats Georgia, if Georgia beats LSU, LSU is going to get the four spot. Yeah. And and Georgia would be in. And then you have Clemson and Ohio State winning out. Now, again, what happens if Michigan upsets Ohio State or, you know, yeah. or Minnesota win. wins? Minnesota, yeah. Minnesota wins beats or, Ohio State and they're, they have one loss in Ohio State. Or Clemson somehow, you know, uh, loses. I don't I'm not yeah. sure how that could happen, but it's anything's possible. So. But can I just I cut know, in, Dan, quick? Like, the race yeah. for four, to me, almost feels like we're talking about, like, the bubble in the NCAA tournament, right? It's like 11-loss SMU versus Iowa. That was 9-9 nine and nine yeah. in the Big Ten versus, yeah. like, you know, some schlock Oregon team that, you know, like made a run in the conference title game. Like, like begging us. There's no resume commanding that spot, which is why I think Alabama probably has a better chance than I, than I thought when, uh, when, when Tua went down, just because I think committee members being human are going to default to what they know, and they know Alabama. I disagree. Yeah. I would take Utah today. Right now, I am on Team Ute. But, yeah, I just feel like it's a, it's a difficult decision because the non-conference of all of the contenders are so bad. And, sadly, the, the Bruins win for Oklahoma doesn't really look that good. Anymore. I like Utah, too. And I also say, if we're looking at these non-conference wins, BYU, who could end up 8-4, and four, this is not a, much of a beauty contest. Yeah. Right. Kind of like Miss Moose Jaw or something. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Somebody's got to be Miss Moose Jaw. Someone's got to win, right? In the playoff, you know. I mean, that was third on. place Miss Moose Jaw in uh, 1988. Okay. <laughs> got in the parade. Anyway, USC, Clay Helton. Uh, this one's fascinating to me. He's owed like 20 million bucks. The Trojans are eight and four. They're going to be ranked in the top 20. They house their arch rival. They've got a freshman QB, Keaton Slovis, 515 yards and four TDs in the the win Saturday against the Bruins. Third straight game with at least 400 passing yards and four touchdowns. Now, in a lot of ways, you go, hey, this guy's got this thing turned around. They're eight and four, not that bad. I got this freshman QB who could be a stud. Yet, they also have the 69th ranked Rivals.com recruiting class. They had just 10 commitments. It's been a lot of years. Like, what do they do with Clay Helton? Yeah, I can make the case either way. You, hire, you fire him or you keep him. There's also 20 million reasons to keep him. I don't know how much money USC's got. Pete, what do you think? Yeah, I wrote about this last week. The, the issue with keeping Clay Helton are, are still going to be there. The, the faults haven't changed. The recruiting is awful. Right. It's completely awful. California has been raided. So if you do keep him another year, you are retarding the growth of the program in for the long term, meaning that like the lack of talent in this 11 member class that they're going to have 12 member class, this smaller class, the, the, the lack of the that lack of talent is only going to haunt you long term. Um, the, the issues and why I think it's a realistic possibility that they may keep him. And, and, and I wrote that column last week is that. Mike Bone has been there for, you know, like 17 days right now. 
and he doesn't know these people's names. He doesn't know what the problems are. He's going to have a hard time addressing the future of the program when he doesn't know the program. And so Carol Fult likes Clay Helton. This is Carol Fult's show. 100% unequivocally, she's riding the bus. And she brought in a new AD that was her hire. She's going to control it. So I think keeping Helton is much more of a realistic scenario than a lot of us would have thought, like me, when we were put on the hot seat all summer long and in, in you know, th- throughout everything. But Clay Helton is not a championship caliber coach. He's proven that. And if you bring in a new defensive coordinator because Clancy Pendergast stinks and you bring in a new special teams coach because John Baxter stinks, it doesn't change the fact that Clay Helton is good but not great. And it doesn't change the fact that the recruiting is downright terrible. So you have Slovis and you have this window. Pittman's going to leave. Some of the skill is going to leave. And I don't see the window to them all of a sudden becoming like Pac-12 champions for a run or anything like that. So, it, But it's very complicated because of the spree of scandal that they've had on their regular campus, not to mention the two federal investigations that have uh, ensconced the athletic department. But their regular campus is like a hot mess. So – Sitting tight might just be the safest move for the administration. You touched on a lot of uh, salient points there for sure. I, I think to the immediate future of this, even if they'd lost to UCLA, well, no, if they'd lost to UCLA, that'd be different. But they can't do anything right now because they could still win the Pac-12 South next week without playing. If Utah loses to Colorado, which I don't expect to happen, but if they do, Clay Helton's coaching them in the Pac-12 championship game. And if he wins the Pac-12 championship, you're definitely not firing him. So, you know, there's still some pool to be played here this season to see where this is going to end up. And then, yeah, to Pete's point, this whole situation is an outgrowth of terrible leadership in the athletic department. They should have gotten rid of Clay Helton last year. Lynn Swan didn't do it. Then this year, midseason, they're three and three. They probably should have gotten rid of him then. Couldn't do it. They didn't have an AD. They didn't have anybody in place. They got a new chancellor. They got a new AD. The whole thing is just kind of in flux. And so you hang on to him, and then all of a sudden you're sitting in a situation where you're like, whoa, we should have fired him four or five wins ago, and now look, you know? So that's that's kind of the pickle that USC has gotten itself into because of bad leadership. That's why a lot of times they bail these – they fire these guys quick because you don't yeah. want to give them a chance to complicate it. And Clay Helton, to his credit – is making it hard. I mean, I watched a yep. lot of that game. It was funny watching some of that USC UCLA game. Every other game on TV at that time was like played in sleet, rain, gray. Like it was like clicking from black and white TV. And then all of a sudden you click over to the UCLA USC game. It's like Technicolor. Like it's like the, the Wizard of Oz yeah. thing. Like, you know, <laughs> they got the best uniforms and the yeah. sun is shining and the Coliseum looks great. And they got the bands. I'm like, this is so I'm watching this just because it makes me feel good. It's like one of those <laughs> those infrared lights or whatever people get in the winter. Like, <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Why are these teams not good? Yes. What are you doing playing over here? Go to this channel. Play there. <laughs> this is much nicer. I don't know. All right. Well, still available if USC wants them is uh, Greg Schiano. Pete reported uh, on Sunday that Rutgers and Schiano could not work out a deal. I will tell you right now. Good move, Greg Schiano. I just I I wouldn't have taken this job. Rutgers is forget their regular record, which included like trailing UMass at one point this season. But they are 0-8 in the Big Ten by an average score of 41 to 6. Like you are hopeless. You are like three <laughs> years from winning two Big Ten games. 
like to go two, two and four in the Big Ten East would require beating Maryland, which beat you 48 to seven this year and hasn't beaten anybody else. And either like Maryland or Michigan State, which beat you combined 75 to zip. Because you're not beating Ohio State, Michigan, and uh, and Penn State. So, like, I just think that job is hopeless right now. And if you have options or already have money, like Greg Schiano, forget it. But, Pete, what what happened with the breakdown of the, the big reunion that I think is best, best served not happening? Well, they met, I want to say it was like 18 or 19 days ago. And Shiano laid out to them financial parameters, not only for his own salary, but also like, this is what the support staff has to be. This is what the assistant coaches have to be. This is what it will take Rutgers to essentially like gain entry into the conversation in the Big Ten. All right. Now, this isn't like you have to spend like Ohio State or Penn State, but this is basically like to get your nose above water so you can kind of start peering at Indiana. And so got to spend more than them. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. the thing, actually. Yes. Yep. Yes. But go and, ahead. And so there was a lot of talk and there were facilities were, was part of this. So, again, you just can't like, you know, say, hey, we're going to build a hundred million dollar facilities. So there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of consternation, a lot of like in a state where that's overly political, trying to like push things through to make, you know, this reunion possible and happen. And in the end. They couldn't do it. And in very classic Rutgers fashion, you know, basically like they remember Shiano and Shiano like laid out the entire plan of how he could bring back Rutgers football. Okay. And in the end, <laughs> Rutgers, it doesn't work out. And Rutgers immediately trashes Greg Shiano, basically saying he wasn't all in anonymously, of course, <laughs> in an article on uh, stadium, which is just kind of hilarious because you spend nearly three weeks in discussions with the guy and he spends five hours in an interview saying, this is how you can basically do it. And the quote in the stadium is, you can't take this position with the glasses half-empty culture. Rutgers fans deserve more. <laughs> Head coaches need to be all in for their job if they're going to have success. Like, telling someone that Greg Schiano isn't all in at Rutgers, when he literally authored the only successful period in the history of the program and left them with a decent roster where they were competitive in the Big East AAC for two years after. I think they've in 105 years of football, they've been to 10 bowls. Six of them were Shiano. Two happened on the, when he left him a loaded roster after for, for Kyle Flood. Something, something of that nature. So it's just classic Rutgers. They've screwed it up all the way around. People forget when Shiano left, they were going to hire Mario Cristobal. Like he was there, he was in, and they completely lowballed him. Now, Mario Cristobal been a Rutgers assistant, prolific recruiter of Florida, because really Rutgers football, when it had its renaissance, they were recruiting Florida. They weren't really recruiting New Jersey. It took New Jersey a little while to come around. And Cristobal was there. He was a dogged recruiter. He'd been at FIU, so he had a ton of Florida contacts. He knew exactly what a hard job it was. They lowballed him to the point where he just said, you know what, I'm going to go back to FIU. How many people do you know are like, I'm going to stick with my Sunbelt job as opposed to go to your go to your better job. But they lowballed that bad because Rutgers basically hasn't been committed. It's I believe it's the same president at this time. He doesn't really want to be good in football. They showed they showed up in the Big Ten for a paycheck and because of cable boxes, and they're going to continue to lag behind. And how they could think three weeks in talks with Greg Schiano, or essentially three weeks, and then trashing him on the way out the door is going to help them draw and lure a quality candidate is mind blowing. 
glass half empty. The glass is empty. <laughs> As someone who knows about empty glasses. <laughs> You've what emptied the, a few. What the hell is... I, Shame old Rutgers. I'll give you this little story about uh, Rutgers that may have nothing to do with anything, but a long time ago, I just remember this being the most screwed up athletic department. I, I was doing this freelance work. This guy was putting out these little preseason yearbooks in conjunction with schools and it would be these basketball yearbooks and then he'd get all these little local like the pizza joint the the local yeah. whatever to advertise and i don't know so he paid me to write these articles and it was the same formula we'd do a q a with each coach the men's coach and the women's coach a season preview and then a feature on like the best male player and, the, and then a feature on the best women's player to be like six stories i can't remember what i get paid but it wasn't a lot i did i did them at schools all over the country like it was like tons of schools, right? Rutgers would not abide by the system. Okay, <laughs> this is very simple. So men's coach Q and A, men's team preview, men's team feature, women's team preview, women's team coach Q and A, women's team feature. Right? Easy. Yep. Because of Title Nine, they said we had to combine the features and all those things. So <laughs> I'm not even kidding. The Q and A had to be both coaches at the same time. Oh, that always works out well. Which made no sense at all. Okay, you, like, how, how's your guard play? <laughs> like, then <laughs> the features had to be combined. So the women's <laughs> player and the men's player had to be one story, even though they had nothing in common. <sighs> they weren't, like, from I the same town. I was like, this is the most screwed up athletic department I've ever heard of. Everybody else gets it. Every, like, 70 other schools are like, that's cool. Just do that. We'll set you up with the players. And this I bet one you were school, pleased. The second year, I was like, I'm not doing Rutgers. Yeah. done i'm like I, I don't i mean i don't even care what these stories say like no one's reading them i don't care i'm just trying to make a buck i'm like no sorry no records like these people are impossible Guess i'm sure you were pleasant to deal with during that exchange is that that sounds like, that's <laughs> this is asinine and then the coaches even well, the coaches were like why are we doing this together i don't understand right? like what is yeah. what is this you know i do like a call it was like the whole thing was a mess anyway my favorite Rutgers story is my, my senior year at Syracuse, they were playing in the Carrier Dome on Parents Weekend. And so, you know, like for football games, you do, you know, a bunch of preview stories and whatever. It just it, Rutgers was so hapless in 1998. There was just nothing. There's there no, like, player on the opposing team to get excited about. I think Marco Battaglia had left. And so I used my column in the Daily Orange to write an apology note to my parents that they had to come to Parents Weekend and watch Rutgers play football. <laughs> <laughs> and Syracuse proceeded to win to some 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 notion of sixty two to nothing. Just that you yeah. know, that was McNabb's senior year, and they just kind of blew him out of the water. Glass so, half empty, well, unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's it's it is empty. I mean, that's the the bottom line is that you're right is that it's a crapola job. It's Ugh. very hard to get somebody. You have to try to find the next PJ Fleck. You know, somebody out there who just wants that opportunity and is going to go in with just mind-blowing enthusiasm and and try to talk everybody into getting on board. But I don't think those people are that easy to find. It, you got to do this with New Jersey high school coaches, right, who are right. amongst the most, like, jaded, cynical, ridiculous collection of coaches. And they're kind of like the devil that Shiano knew, and they knew him, and, like, he'd have success and taking care of their kids and everything like that. You need some outsider to come in and – immediately warm up to the New Jersey high school coaches is like virtually impossible. impossible. And then 
You know, Butch Jones is other guy that's interviewed. Anthony Campanelli, brother of Nunzio Campanelli, is another candidate. He's an assistant coach at Michigan now, and that's the pure New Jersey play, um, which I just think you got a first-time head coach going in there. Uh, Anthony Campanelli is not even a you know play-calling coordinator. Don Brown's a coordinator at Michigan. I think that would be that would be a mess. But New Jersey high school coaches are not going to just like immediately warm up to an outsider. So good luck to Butch Jones, who had 10 years at Tennessee and read everything and was kind of a mess. If that's what he has to walk into, like, whew, that is going to be a tough plow. Won't be much to read. I'll be Steve Politi only. only yes, and, Sergeant. and Politi will yeah. gleefully kill yeah. at me as yeah. needed. Well, yes. I don't know. It's a uh, it's a bad it's a bad go there at uh, at, at Rutgers. I just think you need to get a an up and comer and then another up and comer because yeah, the first up right. and comer gets the six and six. He's gone. Sure. And, and he should yeah. be. And then you've got to find the next one because right. there's no appeal to if you're if you're the next P.J. Fleck, you go, I'll wait for the other Big Ten job like something else is going to open. So. They need yeah. the next Matt Rule, who turned Baylor around from a one in eleven hole. You know, yeah, but he wouldn't you know? take that job. You, no, he wouldn't. I'm, I'm know, just saying, you need the next one. Yeah, yeah, you right. need the next right. guy. You, he, he's the one who could get Temple. You could get the Matt Rule who'd go to Temple and then and then bail, and then you need the next guy. Like you just, mm. uh, it's just it can't be yeah. done. Plus, it's it's tougher sledding in the Big Ten. So, all right, well, absolutely. Records. That's the well, the biggest problem. In addition to the just the intrinsic uh, institutional dysfunction is you're in the big 10 east man it's like a graveyard man. there's three schools for sure that are going to always be above you probably four and really quite frankly five and six too and they're gonna all steal your recruits all right one name uh, i like there is lance Le- uh, lightpole that buffalo the guy went 109 and six in division three he's a program builder he's made buffalo like relevant and i don't want to say vibrant because that would be a, probably a little bit of an exaggeration but he's taken a, a you know a, a, a graveyard program and it, it really pulled up, really pulled them up, and it, it, it would take some sort of like programmatic, big thinker, long term visionary there, because that thing is a that thing is a pit. If I were him, I'd wait and try to get Michigan State then. Um, <laughs> all right, Ohio State, Penn State game. Pete, you were there. Also, there was both the ESPN game day and the Fox <clears throat> pregame show. We're both yeah. live from Columbus, dueling pregame live shows. And the the Ohio State fans are trying to get a boycott going of game day because they deem it pro-SEC and they didn't like the coverage of Urban Meyer last year. Uh, Didn't work. They got a big, I saw there was a big crowd. Pete, were these sets, did you see both sets? Are they like next to each other? Are they in different areas? How how does this work when you have two pregame shows? You know, it's a really good question, and I am a terrible person to ask because I got to the game three hours early, and it was like cold, nasty. I don't remember if it was spitting rain then, but it was like threatening. I parked in the garage. I put my hood on. I went inside, and I said, I look forward to people telling me about how all that happened. But like as as you have with your great line, Dan, like the the dueling anchors from Anchorman, I was just going to let them fight amongst themselves. Yeah. Like well, I, right, so talk. I, I can add good no value there. to that conversation. I agree yeah. that it was completely compelling, but like, what was I going to do? Go like count the crowd. <laughs> I was just like, you know yeah. what? Um, yeah. I don't care about the game. I want you. That's what I want you to do. Count the, yeah. well, stir some stuff up. We can't get there. him to eat a chicken sandwich. We can't get him to go check out the crowds at the game day. So be like, I'm Hey, uh, I, Hey Reggie. Hey Reggie Bush. It's hard to coach. He's hard yeah. to coach. Desmond wants to know how your, how your Heisman is. Cause he's still got his, or, you know, I mean, stir some, stir some, stir the soup, man. Get the golf I also going. Didn't get adequately drunk enough the night before the red river shootout. That was another that, big, yeah, uh, that was the yes. other thing. Yeah. Total yeah. waste of yeah. time. 
All right. So so let's say there is a fight between the two groups, okay? Because (laughs) we are encouraging violence to some degree. No, not no guns or anything. But let's say it does break down our anchorman. Maybe tridents. Tridents, yeah. yeah. We the trident would be good. Or the hand grenade that the guy had. I'm gonna because you know I think it's this rivalry. This is gonna keep happening, and it's the it's gonna get dicey because the ratings are gonna get closer, and. There's going to be a little back and forth. So, you know, I want to know, and I'm going to give you the tail of the tape here. I want you guys to make a prediction, okay? Fox Fox has Urban Meyer, Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, Brady Quinn, and Rob Stone, okay? ESPN has Lee Corso, Kirk Herbstreet, Desmond Howard, and Reese Davis, okay? So ESPN is initially outnumbered here five to four. Now, even in my hypothetical... So you're not giving him Pollock, because Pollock's well, a game changer in this I'll get to. I'm going to get to it. Jeez, okay. right. you know, you got nothing. You got nothing when I ask, and then when I don't ask... <laughs> Sorry. I'm just going to keep eating my acai bowl here in silence. <laughs> hard right. to coach. He's God hard to almighty. coach. Oh, jeez. All right, I'm going to take Corso and Meyer out. I'm going to make them the corner men, the, the wrestling man. I don't, I'm even in my hypothetical way, I don't want to see anyone punching Lee Corso, okay? <laughs> Problem is for Fox, or for ESPN is, I mean, Urban's got a few national titles. Corso did that thing at Indiana or something. So, you know, we love you, Coach Corso, but you're going to, Fox gets an advantage there. They got Urban Meyer as the field general. Fox is three, though. They're all skill players. Two quarterbacks and a running back. And And to your point, Pete, David Pollock, you bring in to even it out. You don't want any of that smoke. A linebacker coming at you? SEC linebacker? I don't think so. They also just seem to have this cast of thousands at ESPN. You got that guy, Bear, that yeah. Bear guy. I mean, he, <laughs> he can jump I bet in. he's scrappy. Like, no. Bear could, yeah. Felic, Bear. I, don't think, I don't think so. No. Felic, Felic, is, that? Felic is crunching numbers and looking at point spreads. He's not in there for the fisticuffs. Where's Gene Wojowski jump in? <laughs> I don't know that Tom Rinaldi is going to do much, but maybe the piano key background entries music and a, a tear He's jerker. like the pink locker rooms at Iowa. Yeah. He's going to make them all cry before I they was gonna, start the fight. I was going to fight, but I'm crying. This kid's got cancer, and he just wanted to meet this Nebraska player. And uh, is, is Sam Ponder still on the show? Is she still there? She's in NFL now. She's in NFL. Yep. She's, I know the she's petite, but if you've ever watched the UFC, Maria Taylor, if you've ever watched the UFC strawweight division, you would know not to underestimate uh, those women. Uh, they got Taylor. All right. Taylor, mm. volleyball player. She can yeah. get at, There's your tail of the tape. I think ESPN can throw a lot of bodies at him. I think he I think Fox has got a better general and maybe they're younger. Who you got, Pat? I'm going to do a 20 second diversion here and just say that, of course, the Ohio State fans wanted to boycott because everybody's out to get them at ESPN. That's one of their favorite things. Every school has a lunatic fringe. Snowflake. Ohio State has so many fans that they have a larger lunatic fringe. Yeah. So, of course, because we all know ESPN's out to get Ohio State with Joey Galloway and Kirk Herbstreet on the staff. Definitely. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Okay, now for the fight. Pollock is the absolute X factor here because he's insane. <laughs> I've worked with I've worked with a lot of these people, and Pollock is the wildest, like hype, most hyperactive, can't sit still guy you've ever seen. So you put him in that situation, he's going to be running around headbutting everybody. Like he would probably even take <laughs> out his own guy. He'd go get Corso. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid. Let's put you know? Corso in bubble wrap. Yeah. Now you take Pollock out. Brady Quinn is younger and in better shape than uh, Herb Street. Mm-hmm. Leinert's 
relatively young. Bush is relatively young. You know, I think they've got they've got a youth advantage there. But again, you throw in Pollock and, and all of a sudden it's like chainsaws and, and brass knuckles <laughs> and and all hell is breaking loose. So Pollock equals brick. He's throwing he's the one that's throwing the crazy <laughs> that, weapons. That right? escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can match Pat's uh Pat's that was a good detailed breakdown. analysis of like, you know, turning the game day fox thing into like its own Dungeons and Dragons episode or uh yes. yes. Um I, I would say generally that uh you know Brady Quinn could maybe like Brady Quinn was always a bigger quarterback. You know, like he was he was he was built, <laughs> he was like strong. Liner, yeah. eh, left handed. Like he's bigger than you know, on the hoof than you would uh than you would think. I think Bush and Lefty Howard, could be tough to deal with from a punching standpoint, though. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Thank you, Kevin Ioli. Um the uh <laughs> Yeah. I, I would have to think it would be a uh, it would it would be a it would be a you know fairly uh, f- fairly fairly even fight. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. It was interesting to see like Meyer retweeting like some of the stuff to like he this was this was he was fired up about this. You know what I mean? This was like he he's one of those guys who needs to like wake up every day with like like someone like an enemy. And now he has he had an enemy last week. He had a Michigan to beat. So he was all uh he was all fired up about that. So that was uh that was that was good to see. But I really actually have no idea like if, you know, there was if there was like, I'm sure people went to both. I'm sure people didn't know which was which. You know, it's like anything else in a crowd. There I go. And I do know people went to game day cuz you know, like people have been training to go to game day for, you know, dozens and dozens of years. But in the stadium where I was on the field before the game doing my actual job, they they had sets on both ends, which I thought was Ooh. the first time I'd ever, I'd ever seen that. And then See? the Big 10 network, the Big 10 network also had a set too. <laughs> so they actually had Three pregame shows there. <laughs> wow. I would, there we go. I would definitely not mess with Howard Griffith. Revson? Oh, no. Is Revson yeah, there? Who is there? I, yeah. Uh, yeah, Revson. Yeah, I don't think Revson's going to take a lot of punches. But uh, Howard Howard still looks like he's in game shape. So Don't uh, mess with Howard Griffith or Jay Lehman if Jay Lehman was there. He's, he's got the line, same linebacker mentality sort of thing. That yeah. is truly like the anchorman where the third group comes in. You guys are <laughs> third. Get out of here, eyewitness news. Right? <laughs> This could. This, I'm just saying, this is an ongoing saga. We're going to keep an eye. We think they could brew, and I think now, now that we've mentioned it, anybody on either show that actually listens to this, it's it's going to sit in the back of their head now. <laughs> yeah, can right? we and take them? Like, could I? Can fight we take them or, or not? You know, I mean, I'm you know, I'm Reggie Bush, man. I'm like, I'm like, Pollock was no, these guys were nobody. I'm Reggie Bush. I was listening to Herb Street. Damn, Reggie yeah. Bush, one of the greatest college players ever. Ever unbelievable! You taking that? All right. Hey, did anything? Fox, I, Fox has two two Heisman's. So I don't. Yeah, uh, two, they don't have any at ESPN, do they? Oh, oh Desmond, 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 yeah. and a Super Bowl MVP. Uh yeah. yeah, yeah. He's all right. He's got some hardware now. All yeah. right. Only thing I want to talk about out Ohio State, Penn State is: Did anything Ohio State not do make you think Michigan could beat them? Do we see any weakness here that says Michigan can beat them? If they layer the ball in Vaseline again, they could. I mean. Yeah. uh you know, that was a game that was a statistical blowout that was not a blowout on the scoreboard. And so I thought as Ohio State streaking away in the first half and then fumbles obviously into the end zone, I'm sitting there in the press box thinking, okay, this is their claim to number one. That, you know, you got the number eight team in the country here and you're manhandling on the line of scrimmage. It felt like a 35-7 game. 
I, I, I thought at the end of the first half, there's no way Penn State can have a sustained touchdown drive in this game. I just did not feel like their offense had it because Hamler either wasn't himself or was completely shut down, probably some version of the two. The run game had nothing, and Chase Young was, again, generationally dominant like he was in that Wisconsin game. I mean, he was unbelievable. So Clifford gets hurt. They start running the zone read right at Chase Young with Will Levis, who just like was at Pat's tweeted. It was a great line. He's like, Will Levis is having a moment. Like I had never heard of him before Saturday. Did you, Pat? I'd heard his name. I didn't okay. know anything about like how he played or anything. Yes, so. I do. I knew less than zero about him. I don't even think I'd seen his name before. So comes in, quite frankly, played a heck of a game, right? Like, it, I mean, just for in that situation, in that weather, with the opponent, with the stakes, I thought he was fantastic. You know, beyond that, he had some bounce in his step. He had some juice to him. He was really, uh, it was really like a like a neat moment. And all of a sudden, they're down, they're in the red zone, down a touchdown, knocking on the door to score. And that's when Chase Young lines up over the right tackle who false starts. He later swallowed the right tackle whole after Ohio State punted on the next possession and, and, and down Levis at the at the one-yard line after, after a drop snap. But I really felt like Ohio State had a chance because here's the, the undercurrent of the one-versus-two battle, the LSU-Ohio State debate, which will, which will be a pretty frequent debate here the next couple of weeks, is nobody wants to play Clemson. Whatever one of those, like, you know, potential number nine seeds, like Creighton or whoever, like we're joking about, the NCAA tournament bubble, rolls into that four spot, you got, you got to feel good about it. You do not want to be sitting there at two and play Clemson and then have two, two you know, high, high-end difficulty games to win the title. So um, I thought Ohio State had a chance to make that statement, but they simply fumbled it away. Like, they played well. Anyone who watched the game knows they played well, and they're very good. But... If they had won 35-7, as I think the tenor of the game indicated, I, I think we might have seen him number one on Tuesday. I would hope it's going to be a close game, but I'm not getting back on the Michigan bandwagon until they actually have it done. When the bandwagon's already sitting in the winner's circle, then maybe. But uh, I'm not going there. Absolutely, they're going to have to get turnovers. And that was, you know, that was kind of the surprising thing, was seeing Ohio State loose with the football. Now, maybe some credit goes to... Penn State for dislodging the ball there, but I think that they're going to need some uh, some plus turnover margin. You can look at it. Shea Patterson's probably play, maybe played the two best games of his college career the last two games, put up excellent numbers against, you know, well, Michigan State isn't very good, but Indiana has been pretty good, and uh, and he was really good against them. So, you know, if, if he steps up and has a big day, first thing he has to do is be able to escape Chase Young, as we've alluded to. And the second thing, like, he's not going to be the zone read guy that uh, that Will Levis was. So I don't think they have to worry about that from him. He, he will run a little bit, but not much. Mostly what he does is move around the pocket and extend plays. If Ohio State hangs on to the ball, Ohio State's going to win and maybe win handily. If they're going to throw the ball around or drop the ball again, then okay, then we can maybe say Michigan's going to have a chance. Update on uh, Coach Randy Edsel at UConn. Tremendous, yes. tremendous weekend for him. He won $8,000 in bonuses. Uh, I mean, you say you say one like it was a carnival game. <laughs> like, he, like he knocked over three milk cans. I, and got I have said <laughs> This is uh, something right out of, uh, you know, the casinos in, uh, in, in Connecticut. I mean, UConn lost to East Carolina, but uh, Randy Edsel picks up eight grand in bonuses based on first score of the game, UConn. UConn gained more yards. They had more tackles for a loss, and they forced two turnovers. Not bad. Not bad. 8,000. So uh, that went well. Yeah. Hooray for Andy. 
quick update on the chicken wars. Uh oh, what do we got? Taco Bell is joining. Really? Taco mm. Bell is entering the chicken wars. Look out. Establishing another front on uh, Chick-fil-A. Uh, they're going to uh, do the crispy tortilla chicken. Okay. Available in chicken strip form or served inside a taco. Okay. The strip features all white meat chicken. Sure it does. Um, <laughs> with a jalapeno buttermilk flavored marinade. Oh, oh I'm in. I'm covered in. Covered in a crunchy tortilla chip coating. Mm. And then there is a creamy chili pepper sauce. Anyone mm. intrigued? I'm not even going to ask Pete, but Pat, yeah. are yeah. you intrigued? Pass. <laughs> Leave Pete out. Yes, I'm intrigued. Absolutely. I'd try that. You you put jalapenos in anything, and I'm I'm absolutely intrigued. And uh, I don't know about the tortilla chip crust thingy, but I, I think that might be good, actually. That's the part that got me. I'll eat anything with jalapenos and anything in a tortilla, so bring it on. That's fine. Wow. I'm, I'm up for trying it. See, hey, and yeah, the price point also gives them an advantage. Currently I'm down only with available in Houston and Dayton, Ohio. So rest of, <laughs> the rest of us. That's not helping yeah. me. I'm, I'm not, not driving gonna... the three hours to Dayton for the for the. No, I'm not doing thing. that. I mean, it's it's limited appeal on that on that point. But there you go. So uh, you got that. Let's hand out a, a small sample Heisman. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? The Heisman people give it out once a year. We like to give it out every week. So uh, who got the Heisman this week, the small sample Heisman? Who is ready? Anyone do any homework? I'm ready. All right, Pete Damel, do it. I'm going to give my small sample Heisman to Penn State's Lamont Wade, who had perhaps the greatest ball hawk game I've ever seen. He had just a beautiful helmet-to-ball hit on Justin Fields, which uh, which prompted that fumble, preventing Ohio State score early in that game. And then he had a hand in both of the second-half turnovers that brought the Nittany Lions back in the game. If it is not for Lamont Wade, the ball hawk, that game's 35-7. to It was uh, it was a really, really impressive uh, impressive performance by him. All right. Pete, I Pat, I'm sorry. Got a small yeah. sample, Osmond? I do. I'm going with Jalen Henderson, the uh, third-string quarterback for Boise State. Usually you get down to the third string, you're in trouble. They're going on the road to Utah State. They need to win to clinch the Mountain West Mountain Division. They got other injuries. You know, they're banged up. It could be a dicey spot. Jalen Henderson throws for three touchdowns, 187 yards, also rushes for a career high 45 yards and they steamroll Utah State 56 to 21. I considered one quick note. I considered giving my small sample Heisman to the kid, the Northwestern fan who was in the stands who ESPN found who was doing a Rubik's Cube during the Northwestern yeah. debacle against uh, Minnesota. Salute to that kid for being smart enough to not watch Northwestern. But uh, now Jalen Henderson deserved the award, so he gets it for me. The unknown third-string playoff component, Boise gets yeah. it. Maybe they should get in. For, for Maybe they should. I watched that game. That was a complete annihilation of Utah State. Uh, I mean, that was that was bad. All right, my small sample Heisman goes to Zach Hintz. I think that's how you say his name. He's the kicker for Wisconsin. 62 yards, baby. He had a 62-yard yeah. field goal. School record, you would think. It is the second longest field goal in Big Ten history. Morton Anderson drilled a 63-yarder at Michigan State back in 1981. And I'm going to tell you this about a 62-yarder at Wisconsin. 
It's November. It's <laughs> cold. This isn't at altitude. This isn't in perfect conditions. If you've ever played golf in the fall, the ball just doesn't go as far. He crushed this thing. So, heck on you, man. 62-yarder, baby. You win the Heisman. All hey, right. get this. Let me let me drop this in here for you, too. It's the first field goal he's ever made in college. I just looked up his career stats. He's one for one. He has not. He's he's their long distance guy. He tried one kick last year and missed. Didn't what? try any in 2017. That was his first college field goal. Was 62 yards. I missed the lead. I missed the. <laughs> what is yeah. that? Yeah. First kick. <laughs> Retire, son. Just yeah. <laughs> if we're if we're giving field goal kicker props out, Wake Forest's Nick Skiba set the NCAA record for consecutive field goals made, um, which I was particularly invested in because Blake Forrest was my lock of the week. But That's I true. figure if we're, if, we're, if we're just tossing him around, All right, Nixon, right. Nixon good props. job, buddy. All right, we said a lot of mean things on this podcast. We invented a feud that doesn't exist and got people fighting. <laughs> um, we've, we trashed Rutgers, all this. Can we say something nice? Pat Forty, can you say something nice at the end of this podcast? Oh, do I have to? Um I could yeah, start that if you're if you're searching. Right, Pete's ready. Pete's in the in the right, mood for saying for something nice. Go for it. I'm gonna say something nice about Florida International. 30 to 24 victors over the University of Miami. They should have been playing the song Low Places in Manny Diaz's press conference as he identified it as a low moment of the Miami Hurricane program. Little Florida International, not even like a good conference USA team. Six and five, fifth in conference USA East. Beats their in-area rival, not even rival. So yes, uh, Butch, Butch Davis with the uh, with the big W, and uh, yeah, Miami scored. Miami lost thirty to twenty four while scoring twenty one points in the fourth quarter, zero points in the first half, which means Dan Enos. Remember the famous story about Alabama last year, where Nick Saban went, "Where the f is Dan?" I think we yeah. may be saying that after this season about Dan on the unemployment line, because I don't think it's going very well there at Miami. Uh, Wait, that also, wasn't all nice. Sorry. Also, linebacker Sage Lewis of FIU gave one of the great quotes of all time. We weren't we wasn't even yeah. calling them the University of Miami during the week. We were calling them the University of Coral Gables. Oh, burn. Oh, burn. <laughs> we're the true Miami school. We have more students internationally. I don't know how that plays in, but here it is. We did it for the university and really for the world, man. <laughs> Deep thoughts coming out of FIU and somewhere in a in a uh, Alabama federal prison, Nevin Shapiro weeps or celebrates. I don't know. <laughs> or starts organizing but a way to find a couple three techniques to better stop get them out. FIU right. run game. Yep, better get them out. But I hey, don't know. In, in Ghana, in Iceland, in Kazakhstan, the world is happy because Everyone's FIU Everyone's a little happier, won. I guess. It's Florida yep. International University yep. won. Go, um, go Panthers. Yeah. We build bridges, not walls, man. Borat running around screaming, go Panthers. Go Panthers. Pat, have you figured anything nice yep. to say? I, fi I found something. Okay. Uh, you remember Jim McElwain, right? Got the Florida job, got ran out of there on a rail after, I think it was a less than three season or less than four. Anyway, before he had even finished whatever his last season was, they've been better off without him. But McElwain has rediscovered his comfort zone in the MAC, where he took over Central Michigan this year. Last year, Central Michigan was 1-11. They were horrendous. This year, they are 7-4. and four. 
They've won five of their last six. They close with Toledo. Fantastic job turning that ship around for Jim McElwain, who did good work at Colorado State. Good work now at Central Michigan. I think he has found his niche as a mid-major coach. Good for him. Some people can't do that. So go Mac. I'm going to give it to going to be mean, but pet, uh, and and then make it trashing Miami, but uh, and do the FIU oh. thing. But Pete did it good first, so that was good. So I can actually be nice. I'm going to say something nice about Bud Foster, the longtime mm. defensive coordinator for Virginia Tech. His last game, he's been there since I think '88 or '86. Uh, 87, 1987, the lunch pail defense, enter Sandman, the whole thing really uh, instrumental along with the, with the Beamer to, to build that program. His last game at lane stadium out in Blacksburg, they got one more against uh, Virginia. Uh, the Hokies are, have a chance to win the a- a- ACC coastal. They have rebounded in part because this defense, they were gave him a shutout yesterday against Pitt and they shut out Georgia Tech the week before. So they got a chance to close out his regular season, his career, one of the all-time great defensive coordinators, and it's a guy who just built a culture of a place from a coordinator position with three straight uh, shutouts. Amazing. Great career for Bud Foster and for the Hokies. So I'm going with that. See, something nice. Can I throw a PS on that? Sure. Olivia Harlan Decker did the sidelines for that game. She's an ESPN sideline yes. reporter, faithful podcast listener. And uh, she uh, she texted me last week because Dan termed the game she was about to do the I'd rather go rake my leaves game. So she said she was really <laughs> excited to go to work because because Dan had, Dan had said you're better off raking leaves than going to the Virginia Tech pit game. She said she listens to us while walking her dog in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Well, there you go. Wow. Well, if she awesome. walked her dog by my house, she would notice that the leaves are all <laughs> raked, baby. They're looking good. <laughs> no Pat Narduzzi to, uh, you know, to, to punt on the 22-yard line. <laughs> I, did not, I did not watch the game. I'm just saying something nice about it. My, I'll say something nice about my yard right now. Looking, looking fine. Looking good. All right. We'll be back. Huge podcast this week. Rivalry week. Blood, knife fights, violence, chicken wars, whatever we got going. We're empty in the tank this week. Big, big episode coming. So get ready. Get mentally prepared. Get your podcast set up. Got commutes, drives home to see mom, get the turkey and all that. Whatever you're doing, we're going to be there for you. So we're going to have Pat break down his uh, Thanksgiving Day turkey bowl game. Turkey Um, games. Yeah, we can do that. We didn't even get to numerous fan violence incidents. I mean, there was a lot backed up here. Uh, We we couldn't even get to everything today. We will get to it. Big, big episode coming. So a lot happening. We'll talk to you uh, Wednesday. See you. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.